0: Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Well, I hope you guys have had a great day so far. Our first full day of camp. Got to hang out some with Classic Camp today. Enjoyed that. I'm going to try to get around to all the camps at some point this week. So be on the lookout for a really tall guy who looks like he doesn't belong. All right, that's me. All right, when I show up, unless it's somebody else. So tonight we're going to get a little bit further into our passage in Isaiah 61, and we're going to be talking about freedom from the captives. And a lot of times we don't realize when we're in captivity. Now I don't think most of, I look around right now, I don't see anybody with handcuffs on or shackles on their legs or anything. I didn't see anybody wearing like an ankle bracelet. You're only allowed like on the property of the ranch. It's like go over and all the cops come. I don't see anything going on like that. Our captivity is way more subtle than that. Sometimes we don't realize that we're even a slave to something, or a captive to something, but it's something that constantly causes us to go back to it again and again and again. And we're going to look at a passage in Scripture tonight that has to do with one of my least favorite animals on the planet. Snakes, all right? so I'm not a fan, not a fan. And I know you're thinking, it's probably the one with Adam and Eve. It's not. It's a completely different snake story. Ah, I don't like them. So you can imagine, like, when I'm at camps... And I go to camps all the time. I'm not really in charge. And some of you guys come and ask me something, like, can I go to the bathroom? I'm like, I don't know. Sure. You know, I'm not in charge. I'm not a counselor. Like, I'm not I'm not like an employee of RVR. And any of the camps I go to, I'm not, like, the guy to ask about random things. You know, I mean, it may be random things. I like random things. But, like, as far as, like, hey, can we switch bunks tonight or this or that? I don't know. Maybe. Sure. Go ahead. Switch with your counselor. He'll love it. Anyway, I mean, I don't know. So, I'm not in charge. So, like, when we find... Random creatures. Like this weekend, there's a skunk walking around. Just walking around. Uh, It was walking around in the dining tent. Nobody was here. But I was here, and I saw the skunk, and I'm like, I don't have to do anything about that. I just keep walking. Because I don't want to scare it anyway, because you would know if it sprayed in there, it would still stink and everything. But like when I see wild animals and stuff, I don't have to really do anything about it except let somebody know who's actually in charge. Sounded like a wild animal, but not quite. Okay, so snakes are one thing I've seen snakes here at the ranch I've seen snakes at other camps and stuff and I'm just like ah there's a snake down there and I tell somebody who can do something about it it's never my responsibility to get it because I'm not in charge well in May I became a youth pastor again after like five years of just being on the road and so like I've got a youth group pretty sizable youth group we've got like 100 kids and so we took our kids to we took about 70 of them to a camp right here in Maryland. It's down the road from here. It's not as cool, but we were just renting the campground, and then we're helping a local church out that's just trying to start doing some service projects, throwing some block parties after school, right? This is right when school ended and stuff, and so we're at this campground, right? And, and I see, like, a couple guys come get me, and they're youth leaders who are, like, underneath me as far as hierarchy of authority and stuff, and they're like, hey, Nate, you got to come... Come, come get this, you know, and I, I walk up, and this is literally what I'm thinking, because I was also speaking at our own camp, so I'm thinking in the line of being a speaker and not being in charge of anything, and I see this really, now it's just like a black snake or a black, black rat snake or whatever, it's not like it's venomous or anything, but it's, it's there on the ground, coiled up outside of the girls, one of the girls' little dorms, not dorms, but like a little tiny cabin, right? It's coiled up there, the girls are like, I can't go in there, I can't do it, look at that, you know, and I'm thinking... Well, let me go get somebody. And then it hit me. Oh, no. I'm the guy I have to go get. It's my responsibility to move that thing. And I don't like it cause every time i get with snakes and don't 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 hate me for this some of your animal lovers i don't know which ones are venomous or not so i just chop off their head and then i ask somebody i'm like oh i didn't need to kill it all right so that's usually how i deal with snakes on my own property it was like yeah they're like no no this will scare away the venomous ones I'm like i will scare away the venomous ones it's not like i'm afraid of them i kill them like i don't run the other direction but I can't kill this one. We've got all these girls around and everything, and they, they, they want it gone. No one wants it dead for some reason. I'm like, are we from North Carolina or a lot? We just kill things, and then we ask questions later. I'm just kidding. So, like, I've got to get rid of this. And so a youth worker's like, he gives me this stick, like, that has a, a fork in it. The fork is like this, right? There's a stick, and it's got, like, a fork like this. He's like, maybe you can get it behind the head. I'm like, it's not an anaconda. So I just broke that off a little bit to where it was a tiny fork, little fork, all right? Almost a spork, not even quite a fork. A little forky. Yeah. And so I go over to get it and everything. Well, anyways, here's here's the video of it, because I didn't think you would believe me. So this is a video somebody caught on their phone if they have it. Did y'all find it back there? There we go. Very careful. Speak to me! One bite could kill them. Oh, and he's got him. He has got him. Nate has got one up on the snake. Will the snake overtake him? This is the part that freaked me out right here. You got it. You got it. Cause I've seen people do it on TV, but I've never grabbed one by the head before. He does not want to let go of me. Not very happy. That's all. I'm not going to show you me slinging them into the woods and him grabbing out of the tree. We saw five snakes that week, and I'm pretty sure they were all that snake. We just kept seeing them in different areas where we had tossed them. And people were like, we saw another snake again. I'm like, just let it go. Just let it go. I don't want to touch the snake again. And anyways, um, So I, I, I hate snakes so much. It's not like I'm like freaking out about them, but I don't like them. And when my family and I go camping, because that's one of the things we like to do, we have added to our first aid kit this little thing called the extractor. It's a bite and stink kit. The only suction device proven to remove snake venom. We've never actually used it on, like, snake venom. We've used it on ticks and things like that. They've got a bunch of different, they've got a little, a little razor in here, so you shave the area first so you can get good suction and everything, like, and then, then you can get that thing on there and, and suck out the venom. All right, so it's got a bunch of different things, and you probably can't see this from there because it's clear, but this is the one for the snake bite. And you got a little tiny one, a little tiny one for like mosquitoes and ticks and things like that. You got a wider one just for random bugs, I don't know, stings, also for stingers and, and spiders and stuff. So here's how the extractor works, and I'm not going to really do it to my regular part of my skin. I'll do it to palm of my hand because it will leave a red mark for the rest of the week, and it won't be cool. But my wife actually had contracted a couple ticks and one of them we didn't notice for a couple days, and it was like really itchy and stuff after we got it off, and it was too late to use this, but the other one, it had just been attached for a little while, and I used the, the little tick attachment, and we stuck it on there and just pulled it out, and like at first you just see the skin like fill up this little plastic tube, like a bubble, like nothing, it's not doing anything. And there was just a little place for air at the top, and then all of a sudden it was like, like squeezing a zit, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever squeezed a zit? If you haven't got zits yet, some of you are younger, or you keep your face cleaner than I did as a teenager, and you haven't experienced this yet, but, like, when you get a good zit, you know, it looks like pepperoni pizza, but after you squeeze it a little bit, you realize it's just stuffed crust, all right? It's just like, yeah, right on the mirror. It's like a little constellation. It's the constellation acne. And you're like, oh, I gotta get this up before mom sees it. Just kidding, no, no, I'm just joking. All right, so... All of a sudden, it just pulls a bunch of blood and I guess tick saliva. The t- tick has this enzyme that when a tick bites you, it has this little enzyme that goes in. It can't actually drink in your blood right away. Your blood is the consistency, a drop of blood is the consistency to a tick. It actually says it in my little pamphlet here, it's so interesting, of jello. And so it can't quite suck it in. So it like puts this enzyme in there that starts break. This is what makes it itch and everything. It can give you Lyme's disease or Rocky Mountain spotted fever and all that kind of stuff. And it starts breaking the blood down to where it's l- more liquidy to the tick. And then the tick's like, ah. Starts with Jello, ends up with Capri Sun. That's how he does it, all right? So here's how you do this. You stick it right on the skin, and then you actually push in. And now it's attached, and I got a little bubble of my hand in there, which you can't see. If I didn't do it to my palm, it would look bad forever, all right? My palm is stronger than the rest of my body for some reason. It should be my bicep, but it's my palm. Okay, there it is. So I got a little circle there. And and that's that's what we do with this. So we carry this with us just for the off chance that a venomous snake is going to bite me or one one of my family members, All right. And so I'm like, this is, this is it. You're not supposed to cut an X in it anymore. You're not supposed to suck the venom out of somebody. Just use the extractor. And if you don't have an extractor, call 911. And if you do have an extractor, still call 911 because it doesn't get it all probably and you might die. All right, so those are the reasons for this. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, this is, we're going to use snakes, like I said, as kind of a metaphor for captivity and this, this venom coursing through us to kind of show us what the Bible's talking about when we are captives to sin. This is 3,500 years ago. 3,500 years ago. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm contradictory to what I said yesterday. I said God doesn't just cause bad things to happen. Bad things happen, and then God comes in and does something cool and and, and walks with us through the bad things. But there are times in the Bible where God caused something that might seem like that's not a good thing. And when God did it, it was obvious. It wasn't like a guy get bit by a rattlesnake one day. (laughs) they're like, oh, God's mad at you. No, you just stepped too close to a rattlesnake. Now, if 50 rattlesnakes just happened into his house and they all went straight for him and avoided everybody else, you might be saying, well, the Lord has deemed it so. All right, so I mean, like you can tell the difference when God is doing something versus when it's just random coincidence. Well, this is God here. And it's in Numbers 21, and I didn't used to want to read Numbers when I was a kid because I thought, oh, there's a math section in the Bible, but that's not really what it's about at all. So Numbers 21, and what's happened here so far is God has freed the people from captivity. They were slaves. Anybody know where the Israelites were slaves at for years and years and years, hundreds of years? Egypt. Egypt. You've seen the Prince of Egypt, maybe. And Moses says, let my people go, and God does all kinds of really cool kind of plagues and stuff. He brought in the flies, and then he brought in the frogs to eat the flies, and I don't know why they swallowed the fly. I guess that's not really the order that it happened. But anyways, there's cool stuff going on, and you could tell it was God because it wasn't just random. It was very specific. And they've been freed, and they've seen God's hand. They've seen his hand move in, like, really, really cool ways, and they were trusting him for a while. And now they're walking with Moses, and they're supposed to get to this promised land that's going to be awesome, And God is providing food for them every day in a land where there's not a lot of food. There's this grain substance that they call manna that's on the ground every morning and they can grind up and make bread out of and stuff. Heavenly bread, angel food cake, if you will, all right? I mean, just good stuff that they can make with this manna and they're getting tired of it. And they're starting to complain, and they forget that they were slaves that when they stopped working for a little bit, like, I think I'll just take a break. You will take a break? You'll take a break? I'll break you. you know, and people start beating them and stuff. That's their life before, and now they are free. And they start to resent the freedom and forget how it was to be in bondage. It says they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea, to go to around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. We detest this miserable food. They're getting really angry about the manna. Even though the manna can make bread, they're just like, I want bread already prepared like I'm walking into a bakery. Anyways, I mean, they're just really mad about it. Then verse 6, the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. That gets your attention every time, by the way. Venomous snakes just start coming in. We're not like, ah, don't pay any attention, kids. We're right in the middle of service. Just let it happen. I preached in a camp in Mississippi a couple years ago, and they have horse flies that are the size, I think they're called horse flies down there. They're different than the horse flies we have here. I think they're called that because other flies ride them as horses, all right? They're really big, and they bite you, and we're in an open, it's just like this, but without walls. And I'm getting bit while I'm speaking, like over and over again. I'd be like, like the wasp last night, except that I wouldn't see it until it's gone. And I'd be like, bam, and it hit the ground, and I'd go over and stomp it. I'm still talking, like nothing's going on, right? And, in other words, and then you hear a kid go, ah, and then just randomly over here, and it just kept happening over and over again. And I told them afterwards, I was like, do any speakers ever get so frazzled they can't speak? They were like, well, there was that one year, a couple years ago, when a rattlesnake came in the pavilion and just slithered right up on the stage, and everybody cleared out. That was kind of distracting add that to what I have to do now, watching out for flies. I'm like, ah. It's always attention-getting when venomous snakes come in. It says they bit people, and many of the Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And God didn't say, oh. Oh, I didn't realize that was bothering anyone. Come back here, snakes. They've had enough. He doesn't do that. He does something to test their faith, to see if they're really ready to believe in him instead of just trying to get away from the things that are making them captive on their own. They had been captives once before. They forgot about it. Now they're basically held captive in this camp. They can't leave because of the snakes. And they're crawling away and trying to get away on their own, trying to solve it. And God's wanting to see if they'll believe him. So he says to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then, anyone, when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So Moses like, makes this thing. It's just right in the middle of town square. And he starts going around Hey, guys, you, the one dying and writhing in pain, go over to the snake on a pole. And if you look at the snake on a pole, you're healed. Now you don't know if you want to believe that or not, because you've been watching other people who've been bit. And if you don't like hold your arm above, you know, like if your arm gets bit, you want to get it lower than your heart. You don't want to raise it above your head and all this. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't want your your you don't want to jog, you don't want to do th- you don't want to take a hot bath, you don't want to do anything that's gonna get your circulation going. You want your circulation to slow, and you are just be, like, carry me to the doctor. <laughs> Who has the extractor? Is that still with Nate? You know, like help me out here and let's get this guy over and Moses is asking them to get up from where they are and go and they've seen anybody who's getting up and moving around kills over quicker and so the people who are bit have to actually believe that God is going to do what he said he was going to do and he was going to heal them of this and people started to do that and as more people saw more people whose lives had been changed by looking at a pole with a snake on it they decided to take that risk and do the same thing. Now, God should have got all the glory for that, and then be like, wow, thank you so much for your mercy. That I was going to be a goner, and I looked at the snake at just the right time and everything, but that's not what happens. Years and years later, we're not going to look at this passage, but in 2 Kings chapter 18, years and years later, King Hezekiah, who's 25 years old at the time, he goes through, and he's like, wait a minute, the children of Israel have forgotten God again. They're worshiping fake idols, like things they make, out of wood. Let me have that. And he takes the wood. Ooga, booga, why are you worshiping this thing? He can't do anything for you. Or whatever they named him. This is Bob. Bob sits on our mantle. Bob is who we pray to. When is the last time Bob did anything for you? I don't know. He hasn't said anything much. Like, they're worshiping things they made. And Hezekiah's like, no, we're worshiping God again. The one true God. He breaks all that stuff down. And one of the things that it says he broke down was Neshutan. Neshutan is, neshutan is the name that they gave for the bronze snake. They kept it, and years and years later, people remembered not that God had saved them, but that looking at a snake had saved them, and they started worshiping this thing, and he's like, no, not anymore, and he breaks it into pieces and throws it away. They've become so superstitious that they fell in love with the process and not the healer in the first place. You might think, Nate, this is like an isolated, little isolated story that we find here in the Old Testament. But it's actually one of the most important stories. On the way to River Valley Ranch, I came last week, so before that, I noticed on the side of a barn there was this big billboard and it had a certain verse on it that I've seen a lot throughout my life. We sat down in a country cooking in Northern Virginia. You've been there before? All you could eat. Just really, really southern, really, really fried. I like it. Anyway, so I'm eating all this food. I look in the menu where you get to order, you get to order like one meat item and then everything else is on the bar for free. Well, after you pay for it, it's not for you. Hey, wait a minute. I'm just kidding. And it's got the same verse right there, right on the menu. And then we're driving behind a tractor trailer and my son Luke points out the fact that somebody has written with their finger, because it's such a disgustingly dirty tractor trailer, the same Reference to the same verse as John 3.16. That's the most popular verse probably ever that most of you probably even have memorized. And we would say it together right now, some of you that might know it, but we probably all memorize it in different versions as updated, as updated English versions come out based on how we are always changing our language and adding words like yeet and weird things that we have to look up when you're my age should be like, what is going on here? I thought that was a southern word where well, you ask people when... He eat yet, young too. <laughs> dinner's on the table, anyway, so I mean, that, I just thought that was already a word, we used it for years, but anyways, I get it, alright, so we saw John 3:16, and it's for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have life everlasting, and you might have memorized some version of that, but basically the same thing. And we say that like it's the only thing that was said in that thing. This guy comes to Jesus at night and has all these questions for him. And here's actually the full, a little context around there, a little bit more fuller of the conversation. Starting in verse 14, 316, right? 314 it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man, that's Jesus, must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, or have eternal life. This is, that other verse is the, basically the same thing, so it's got the snake part in it, right? This snake was a symbol of the cross that we don't just get healed. God, God could do this. Yeah, he absolutely could. He could say, "All right, I love you. I made you, you're cool, you're all forgiven." God could just look and say, I'm forgiving you all. He could. If he was 100% love, he could do that in a heartbeat, just like that. Say, I'm forgiving you. Just like that gum I gave those people who didn't deserve it, just say everybody gets some gum. That's what he could do. But God is not just love. He's also justice. He's 100% justice. Not 50 of each. He's all of both at the exact same time. And because of that, he says, sin, choosing Your way over mine means that you have to receive punishment for that. And so if he was just justice, we'd all be in trouble. He'd be like, oh, you're all doomed. That's all you get. You're doomed. (laughs) Because everybody in here is messed up, including Nate. Absolutely including Nate. Probably more so than most of you. All right? You've all messed up. You're all doomed. So if God was just 100% justice, we'd be in trouble. If he was 100% love, we'd be like, ah, daffodils and flowers. But he's both. So he has to see justice served, and he wants to free you. So he figured out a way to do that at the same time, that somebody could come to this earth and live a perfect life, perfect life, who didn't deserve death, and then take our place. And because he was a man, he could die for us, and because he was 100% God at the same time, his death could count for everybody. And Jesus went to the cross, just like that snake on that bronze, that bronze snake on that pole, that if we would look to him, we could be free. Because we are in in captivity, excuse me, we are in captivity. We're in captivity to our sin. All of our sin, every little thing that we do, causes us to go back to it again and again. And most people won't tell you this, but the things that the world tries to throw our way, they are fulfilling things. They're just not permanently fulfilling. Somebody gets into drugs or alcohol or sleeping around or whatever, they find fulfillment in that, but they have to continually go back to it again and again to keep being fulfilled. It's not permanent. Somebody didn't get drunk one Friday night and they're still drunk six years later and be like, I still feel the same way. No, you don't. You have to go back to it again and again. And the next morning you might be throwing up or have a headache or whatever. I mean, it's always, it's always something that seems right in the moment and then later has that guilt, has that shame, has that regret, has that fear, has that comparison from, one, from you to another person. There are things that aren't the best for us. And God's like, I, I want to fulfill you permanently. Jesus calls it living water that kind of springs up in us so that we never have to thirst again. That's where he goes. And here's the thing about Jesus. And you might have heard this before that Jesus died on the cross and he took our sins on him. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing that. I'm not taking that for granted. There was a girl here about four years ago that a counselor brought up to me afterwards. And she said, I've never heard that in my life. And I said, heard what? She said, I never heard that Jesus died on the cross. And I was like, whoa, wait a second, we're in America. I thought everybody had heard that. So I said, have you seen a cross before? I wasn't trying to be sarcastic or anything. I just said, have you seen a cross? She said, yeah, I see crosses all the time, especially in jewelry. But there's nobody on it. She'd never seen a crucifix or, or a picture of Jesus on the cross or anything. Some I don't know how, how that happened. But she had never heard it. And when she heard the good news of Jesus, she wanted in. She wanted her life changed, and I, I saw on my Instagram, um, actually, it was on Facebook, I think, because that was the thing back in the day, but like four, four years ago, um, I got reminded of a post last year. I got reminded of that post of her, and she happened to be at camp last year. We took the picture in the same spot again. I was just standing together, and she's like a couple years older, and it was really, really cool to see that she was still following Jesus a couple years later. The one that she didn't even know about before, she had looked on him not literally looked on him but looked to the cross and said that's what is going to save me then i want in i don't want to be a slave to sin anymore i don't wanna be i don't want to be chained up i don't want to be in bondage to something that causes me to go back to it again and again and again so jesus didn't just take your sin on check this out second corinthians 5:21 says that Jesus became sin for us who never knew any sin, so you could become the righteousness of Christ or the righteousness of God. Righteousness is right living, by the way. It means doing the right things, it means perfection, that kind of thing. He says, I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna bring this, this trade. I'm gonna give you all the good stuff I do, and I'm gonna take all the worst things that you do. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us, not because we were doing the right things. He loves us at our worst, and He knows who you can be at your best. And Jesus literally took our sin on him in such a way that the Bible says he became it. He became guilty. He couldn't take our punishment without being guilty. Now, he wasn't guilty because he did those things, but he took on every wrong thing that has ever been done. Can you just imagine that for a second? If you woke up tomorrow and you had memories of of terrible things, terrible things, harming people, doing all kinds of things that you had not really done as if they were you, and, and you were going to stand trial for those things. You'd be like, no, nah, that wasn't me. I need some evidence. Jesus took them on in such a way that it actually became him. He had sin. He became sin for us who never knew any sin, never had done any wrong on his own. He took ours on him and then not just took our guilt, but took our punishment. And he took care of it once and for all for us, so that God can meet his justice and his love at the same time. And my prayer for you, my hope for you, is that nobody leaves this week without at least understanding that God has reached out his love to you in Jesus, and that you don't have to have this sin coursing through our veins like we have now, which is basically venom. It's taken us out. It's making sure you can never be who he created you to be. And he has the anti-venom. He has it in the, in the shape of a cross where he can come in and he can make you new. And so my hope and prayer for you is that you leave here with Jesus if you didn't come here with him. Let me pray for you tonight. God, I thank you so much for each and every student. Lord, we thank you that you are constantly and consistently making beauty come right out of ashes. That when we see terrible stuff happening, you are are always working to bring something good out of it. And Lord, we thank you for your salvation that you offer us to save us from our sins. God, that your death on the cross finished that work for us. We could never do it on our own, and you did it in our place. So Lord, I pray that as as we go through this week, as we're in small groups, as we're talking with our counselors, as we're just hanging out, God, that these these themes would kind of just be a running thread through our minds of what are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to believe him? Are we going to look to him? Are we going to stay in the same condition that we came in? Lord, I pray that we'd have a blast tonight and all the stuff that we're doing afterwards. Thank you for these students that you knew would be here before the foundations of the world were even laid, God. And Lord, I just pray that we continue to have an awesome week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys. You're awesome.